0: It's a great privilege now that I have to introduce to you a great guy, his wife is sat next to him, Sarah. He comes up here representing a very sweet family, a very godly family, working among the Omega people in Chad. Please welcome Justin. Thank you, you, Justin. Well, good morning, and uh, it's good to be here. I think on behalf of our family and our team and really all global partners, we're really thankful for Golden Hills and the ways that you partner with us. I feel like when we come here, you guys often know more about where we live than we are, we do, <laughs> um, but we are so grateful for you as a church. Uh, it's been a great uh, week to be able to spend with you, To Enjoy time um, at your, the Christian School to uh, be with uh, middle schoolers, and uh, a Friday at the C.O.C. It's great to see you guys putting feet to uh, your, uh, the gospel in your own Jerusalem, and we're grateful to be a part of a church that is going out and sending out. And uh, also, we are a part of uh, some small groups on Friday night and on Saturday with the Philam group. Boy, those guys can eat those guys can eat. And I think we're going to go away from this week about 15 pounds heavier and uh, maybe a little bit tanner from the California sunshine, which actually actually not really bad when you go back to a place like Chad. So um, again, we're just so grateful for you. Um, my wife and our girls, we serve among Omega people in Chad. And uh, I wish we had just had so much time to share with you testimonies and stories, but you'll have to go to the go room to hear about that um, this morning I'll share a little bit um, from God's word with you about things really feel like I'm preaching to myself today. But as we go to the Word, uh, let's go to the Word. Before we go to the Word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we ask that you would speak to us through your Word, that your Spirit would come upon us and fill us, encourage us, comfort us, challenge us, convict us where we need it. God, that uh, you would overwhelm us with you and uh, that your presence would be something that marks this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I really delight in spotlighting some of the miraculous and marvelous things that God is doing among the Omega people. But I got to be honest. There are days that the missionary life isn't so glamorous. There's days where, frankly, the mission is unglamorous. There are days when it's just downright hard and ugly at times, and overwhelming. Maybe you can relate with that. There's just times where days or life just becomes overwhelming, maybe it's Overwhelming with a spouse and, or a son or a daughter. Or there's something that's consuming your thoughts. And, or it's work. The projects just keep adding up, and life is really overwhelming right now. And This is, uh, don't you want to be a missionary message? <laughs> <All right. laughs> but you know, life is overwhelming. Chad is often re. Revealed to me is how ungrateful I am, how self-serving and sinful I am, but yet Chad has revealed just how glorious and gracious a God we have. While I'm really underwhelmed by my own performance, I am overwhelmed by the grace and mercy of our God. See, the greatest work, that, as I look look back on the past three years, I, I think the greatest work that God has been doing is the work that he's doing in me, making him more like him, making him more like his image. Sometimes God puts us in really hard places, really difficult situations to help us realize just how desperate you are but how delightful God is. See, the mission isn't glamorous, but God is glorious. He is glorious. Today I want us to look under the hood of the heart of a, a man on a mission. And So when you look into scriptures, uh, who is a man on a mission that you think of? This is our talk in church time. Paul, right? We are endeared to Paul because he is a man on a mission. He's radical, yet humble. He's passionate, yet purposeful. He's theological, yet very practical. And we get the privilege to peer into his heart to see what makes his heart tick when we read most of the New Testament. We get to read into personal letters that he writes to churches or that he writes to individuals. And this morning, we get to look into one of his personal letters to a young man by the name of Timothy. So if you've got your scriptures, you can turn to Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. Timothy is kind of, he's different than Paul. He's not as bold or brash or flamboyant like like Paul, but rather he's, he's timid and tender. He was the leader of the church at Ephesus that Paul had planted about a decade earlier. Timothy was... Padawan of Paul, the protege of Paul. And Paul, as a spiritual father, writes to Timothy to encourage him through some really difficult times that he's facing in his life, in his church, and ministry. There are people that are cutting down his youthfulness and really underscoring the gospel and diluting doctrine and. and Paul writes a letter at a real critical point, I can relate to Timothy. I can really empathize with Timothy as Paul writes him. And Timothy is just overwhelmed by this. This is all that's consuming his thoughts and his mind. And Paul writes to him and says, Timothy, there are a lot of good things to be overwhelmed by. And the things that you're overwhelmed by are really good things. But there is one thing that you need to be overwhelmed by, to be really overwhelmed by, and that is God. So Paul helps us answer the question, and look at the question, what does it look like to be overwhelmed by God? Especially when life, and trials, and situations really overwhelm us, and We can't see what God is doing uh, around us or in us. Paul gives us a real good grasp and a glimpse of what it looks like to be overwhelmed by God, especially when there's difficulty in ministry or I have problems with people or their family is overwhelming, my work is overwhelming, the expectations of others are building. How do I free myself of that and be overwhelmed by something I really want to be overwhelmed with? And that is God. Paul begins in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12 by telling us that it begins with a thankful heart. It is being overwhelmed with gratitude and overwhelmed with thanks. Look at verse 12. Paul begins, I thank him who has given me strength. Who? Who is it that has given him strength? Christ Jesus, our Lord. Why? Why? Because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Paul's kind of thinking back. He's thinking back, Acts 9, when God intersected with his life on a Damascus road. And he is championing the cause of stopping the mission of Christians. And God intersects with his life. And he says, "For though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, an arrogant man. But... But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I get this, this Paul, who's writing this, was a terrorist. He was a religious radical. He would have been the Jewish equivalent to ISIS in his day. He was to stop anyone who was a threat to his faith. He was to thwart any plans that they had to advance. When God intersected with Paul's life on that road to Damascus, it could only have taken the power of God to change Paul's course. And it did. It did. As we look under the hood of Paul's heart, we see a man overwhelmed with thanks. He cannot help but thank God. He saw the deep crimson stain of his sin, but yet he saw the grace of God being deeper still. Do you remember who you were before Christ? Do you remember who you were before Jesus intersected with your life? Similar to Paul. You and I could say, though formally, I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, an arrogant man. No, no, you don't know me. Not, not me. Yes, the scriptures say that before Christ, we are all enemies of God, shaking our fists in his face. Maybe you could say, though formally, I was a doubter, a skeptic, agnostic, or though formerly I was a cheater or a liar, an addict, an adulterer, a womanizer, or though formerly I was a slander, a sloth or a fool. But... aren't you glad there's that conjunction there? But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord washed over me, overflowed me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul is overwhelmed with thanks as he thinks about what God has done, what God has made him to be. As he reflects on his unglamorous past, he reflects on the glorious gospel and what it has made him to be. The gospel takes him back, like when you're sitting in your car and that song comes on the radio. It takes you back to that certain time and place. The gospel takes Paul back. It's every bit of who he is. And as Paul thinks upon that, it has that kind of effect of gratitude. Does it have that effect on you? He's so thankful. Thank you. It's one of the highest and most beautiful forms of praise, isn't it? When someone says, I am thankful for you, I'm so thankful for you. It can be one of the most precious and powerful promises or truths that somebody shares with us. And when's the last time you have shared those words with God? Maybe this morning is a, is a time where you just need to say, thank you, God. God, I am so thankful for you. So thankful for what you have done. So thankful for what you are doing. God, as I see what you're doing around me, seeing your beauty and your wonder and your glory, I see, and I am so thankful. Our first year in Chad was, was really hard. I mean really hard. I'm going to give you a glimpse of it, but it doesn't really do it justice. And The first year in Chad, I had made this list. It was not like a written list, but it was a a. Ver- a a mind list, there's a list of unthankfulness. This is the part of the message where it's like, don't take this part home with you, don't do, don't do this. But I want you to be able to see it in the hood of my heart for a moment and see some of the things that were consuming to me, maybe you can relate. But here's my unwritten unthankful list. <laughs> it's hot, again. I've got heat rash again. I'm so tired right now. I think I'm at the point of exhaustion. I just don't want to get out of bed. Somebody knocking at the gate again, and it's only five in the morning. God, if I have to be hospitable today and make tea and entertain people again today, I think I'm just going to scream. There's sometimes, God, where I feel like I'm just being used. I feel like people just come over not to just befriend me, but to charge their cell phone or to get some ice water or to be a taxi service to the next town. Why am I here? I feel like I'm just being used. Those boys are throwing rocks at our roof again. The person I think that's really interested in hearing more about Jesus is now sharing his faith with me. I'm trying to communicate the best that I can. I'm learning and I go out and I just can't understand anything anyone's saying. And they can't understand anything that I'm saying and they let me know it and I feel horrible. I can't, why am I even here? I can't even communicate the gospel. there's just some days where I feel like I'm just doing chores all day. I'm taking care of the house. I'm cleaning the water and taking care of the kids. And I feel like I'm not being able to get out there and meet with people. And it feels like I'm totally being useless here, interacting with people, that, which is the reason why I came here, right? I'm sick. I think this is like the 43rd day in a row that I've had diarrhea. My daughter is sick. She's lost like... Twenty-five percent of her body weight, she can be okay. God, it'd be really great right now if I could just have a burrito. <laughs> I feel like my—I'm just fellowship-starved. What I wouldn't give to just be in a church right now, to fellowship with the saints, and sing out loud, and to hear the word preached and spoken. I feel like my faith is mimicking this dry and thirsty land. Maybe you can relate with that. Just right now, life is overwhelming. It's, it's what's in front of you. It's the thing that's a centimeter in front of your eyes, and it's all you can see. That's me on most days. And a friend recommended me a good friend and said, "Why don't you just go take a walk, Justin? Just get out in the bush and pray. Take some prayer walks around your neighborhood and just pray. Take the things that are overwhelming to you and just give them to God." And I want to read to you a new list that came out of that. And this is the list I journaled and wrote down, and it's a list I want to share with you. And then this is what you take home. Okay, this is the part of the message we're like, "Do this part." Just write a list of all the things that you're thankful for and the things that you're thankful for today. And this is what came out of that list. God, I am not alone. God, you've surrounded me with a family. You've surrounded me with friends and teammates. You've given me a cloud of witnesses who are praying. We get to see the answers to prayer on the front lines. What a privilege that is that we get to see you doing your work. You're working us. We see you provide every day for our needs, and above and beyond what we could ever think or ask. We see you protecting us in ways that are probably hidden to any way, anything that we could ever imagine. We are getting to make new friends with people that have never heard about the truth of the real Jesus. We get to share for the first time the good news, the greatest news on earth, People that are coming to us and knocking on our gate, we don't have to go out and knock on other people's gates. They're coming to us. God, you are changing things. You are changing people. You are saving people, and you are changing me. Paul is overwhelmed with thanks. And if we were to just look and take a moment to spend time and just think about all that God is doing around us, it would overwhelm us, right? All the minute things that God is doing in our life just overwhelm us. Because thankfulness is the remedy for one who is overwhelmed with the world to be overwhelmed with God. It begins with thanks. Paul goes on in verse 15 that not just overwhelmed with thanks, but being overwhelmed by your salvation. Being overwhelmed what God has done through you in Christ. And He says in verse 15, this saying is trustworthy. In other words, bank here. Invest in this. And deserving of full acceptance. In other words, agree upon this. Church, Timothy, agree upon this. Proclaim this. Listen to this. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That that deserves a response, I think. Let me read that again. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of who I am foremost. That's me, amens on that part. Paul is overwhelmed by his salvation. He's overwhelmed because he is redeemed. Paul had the right scale to measure himself by, didn't he? Often I don't. Often I compare myself to her or compare myself to him. I look all right or maybe not so good. Suck in the gut. Okay, I look a little better. But Paul measured himself by looking at at God, at Christ. That's the right scale, right? In that moment, you realize who you really are and who God is, and there's no comparison. It's, It's overwhelming comparison. I measure myself on the wrong scale, but this realization can change your life that I am the worst sinner that I know. Like Paul, I am public sinner number one on display. I'm the worst sinner that I know because only God and I know the depths of my sin. But, but, thanks be to God that he stepped into my shoes, that he lived a sinless, sacrificial life that he died in my place to clear my debt, that he championed the grave, and that he now lives at the right hand of the Father, and that he saved me, only he could save me from God's wrath and my own destruction. And the next time we find ourselves thinking, I'm not that bad, I'm not that bad. I, I teach Sunday school. I, I listen to Christian radio and don't watch R-rated movies. Remind yourself how bad you are by looking at the cross. Remember the price paid for your sin. The red blood shed for it. How ugly and horrific that was for Jesus. But yet how glorious that was for your own redemption. How beautiful that is! That I am saved through Christ. You might know the name of John Newton. He was a a British Royal Navy captain a few centuries ago. Um, He did many horrific things. He was a guy who would transport slaves from the African continent to different places in the world. And in his own words, he said that he was a ruthless businessman and an unfeeling observer, did many regrettable things. But like Paul, and Root, God intersected with his life, changed it, 180, gave him hope in Christ. All the guilt and shame that had enslaved him was freed in the moment that he gave himself to Christ. And he said this, I am a great sinner, but Christ is a great Savior. And we know of John Newton because he penned many songs that we sing to this day. You might say, that's my song when I turn on the radio. He said, one of the songs was, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I am found was blind, but now I see. Verse 15 is a beautiful mission verse, isn't it? That Christ came into the world to save sinners, like you, like me, like those in Antioch and Brentwood and the ends of the earth. It alone gives me motivation to wake up in the morning, to get out that door, that gate, and to share Jesus with my neighbors. So if it wasn't for Jesus, I would not be where I am. I would not love those people. But it's because of the love of Jesus that I can. And it's because of the love of Jesus that I can wake up and go into the community, go to my Jerusalem or go to the ends of the world. It alone gives you motivation yourself to to do the same wherever God has placed you. Why go share my faith? Why live my faith out loud? Why go to the ends of the earth? Because if God can save us all, He can certainly save anyone. God can save your boss, He can save your father, your son, your daughter, your crazy uncle, your annoying neighbor. He can save the abuser and the, pers- the, the, the prostitute and the terrorist. And he can even save you. No sin is too far or too ugly for God to cover with his mercy and his grace. It happens when God gives, gives a faith to a person to believe that there is no other name under heaven by which men can be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. So God has uh, overwhelmed Paul with gratitude He's overwhelmed him by his own salvation, thinking upon that, meditating upon that. But we see in verse 16, he's also overwhelmed by mercy. Look at verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, see that? That in me, as the foremost, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. Has anyone ever said to you, you've You've changed? You're different, you've, you've changed. This can be either the most uh, loving or fearful words that somebody could ever say to you, right? But God, God loves changing people. It's his joy, it's his job to change people from the inside out. He loves changing people. He himself never changes, but he loves to keep changing you, to make you more like Christ, to make you more like his image people who do not change are either perfect or disobedient. Which one are you? Paul is overwhelmed by mercy. It's like an overwhelming raging storm in his soul. He looks at God's mercy as if it's a river wide that keeps on flowing and flowing and never runs dry and he's just sinking in it as if it were an ocean. He's drowning in the mercy of God as he thinks about God's mercy upon his life, that he would save a sinner like him, that he would have the privilege to be able to share the mercy of God with others. That's the fact that mercy multiplies mercy. One who's given mercy gives mercy. God's design in saving Paul was to make him like a poster child to parade what the mercy of God can do. It's as if God says, you want to see what I can do? You want to see what my mercy does? Here, here's Paul. Here's my poster child. Look at him. You want to see what God's mercy can do in your life? Check it out. God saved Paul for your sake. That's what it says, right? Isn't that an awesome truth? That God saved Paul for our sake. That we would see God's overflowing grace. That we would see his divine mercy and his perfect patience. And take courage for our own, uh, take hope for salvation for ourselves and for those that we're sharing with. God wants you to see that the most unlikely people can believe and do believe. That God can change people and is changing people. That God's mercy and power are not limited to just people who have grown up in a culture of Christianity or have a good family or live near a church or have a clean moral track record, but that the chief of sinners was saved. And that means that there's hope in your salvation. And there's hope in the salvation for the person you've been praying for and sharing your faith with maybe decades. Don't belittle the mercy of God by saying, I can't be changed. That can never change. It's just the way that I am. The message of God's mercy says that what is evil and undesirable in our life can be changed. A critical spirit can be changed. Alcoholism can be changed. Irritability can be changed. Ingratitude can be changed. Laziness and overeating and lust can be changed. Habits of not tithing or excess TV watching or gambling, those things can be changed. Lack of hospitality can be changed. Self-righteousness can be changed. The fear of telling others about Jesus can be changed. It's God's joy and his job to change us. In what ways are you parading and becoming a walking billboard of God's mercy to others around you? Every day you're displaying his perfect patience as an example to others around you of what his mercy can do to those who believe in the name of Jesus. I want to show you a picture of um, our bedroom, our front yard. Um, This is where we live and sleep oftentimes because it's it can be hot inside our house. Like Brian said, it can be 115 sometimes. Um, but I, I want to show this picture because it illustrates a little bit what Paul is talking about. You look at that picture, you see that, the starry backdrop. You see how beautiful that is? I mean, what a nightlight to wake up to in the middle of the night, right? What makes this starry night so beautiful? What makes that sky so vibrant? It's because the sky is so dark. It's so black. It makes the shine, the stars shine so bright and so glorious. And Paul says, the mercy of God, we live in a world that is tainted by sin, it's dark as the darkest night. But you, church, you, Timothy, you are that star that shines to the dark, darkest places and shows the glory and the beauty of God. And together, you shine that to, to Brentwood and to Antioch. People see The grace and mercy of God through you. Even when it's overwhelming. We realize God's mercy overwhelms us with something new, something greater. It's God. So Paul is overwhelmed with thanks. He's overwhelmed with his salvation. He's overwhelmed by mercy. But finally, in verse 17, he's overwhelmed with praise. Paul ends his thoughts like with a bang. He does this from time to time. It's as if he gets caught up in a moment and his pen hits the paper and explodes into doxology on the page and the goodness of God becomes his anthem and he's overwhelmed with praise. Look at what he says. To the king of ages. In other words, to the king of the past. To the king who is present. To the king of the future. To the king of kings. Immortal, the God who never dies, the God who never sleeps or takes a nap or takes a vacation, to the God immortal, invisible, the only God who has no comparison, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Enough said, right? Enough said. And when you comprehend God's saving power over your past and you see yourself against the backdrop of the cross and you acknowledge the mercy of God saving a sinner like you, it's natural to be overwhelmed, overcome, overjoyed with praise and worship to God that he, he could intersect my life, that he can change my life, that he can use me, and it's a privilege to be used by God. person overwhelmed by God sees his troubles and his trials, the p- problems he has with people, the issues in ministry, the unglamorous mission, whatever it is that overwhelms you, that sticks into your face, that helps that blocks seeing what God is doing in and, in and through you or around you. The person overwhelmed by God sees it through new eyes. Because all that was lacked for you is supplied for you in Christ. All that ruined you Is renewed for you in Christ. May God give us new eyes to see the beauty, the wonder, and the glory of what he is doing in you and those around you, even when it is hard and ugly and dirty and overwhelming. May we turn our complaints into thanks, Being overwhelmed with thanks, being overwhelmed with our salvation, being overwhelmed by the mercy of God and overwhelmed with praise. May he overwhelm you and may he overwhelm this church to continue to send out people to this hurting town, to the hurting nations of the world. I want to conclude by reading a text from Revelation chapter 5 because it's as good as to see what Jesus has done for us and what he is doing for us, it's good to see what Jesus, the Jesus who will be, the Jesus who is on his throne, the Jesus who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the king of the nations, the hope of the nations. I want this to be our prayer this morning. Would you rise with me as we read Revelation chapter five together. As we gather into the throne room of God, may this be our prayer, may this be our anthem, may this ready our beautiful feet to get to action. May the image overwhelm us because this is an image that we will stand before one day. When I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look, to look into it. And I began to, to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our god and they shall reign on the earth and then i looked and i heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands and saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb say that worthy is Is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing? And I heard every creature in heaven and under the earth and on the earth and under the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the living creatures said, Amen. Golden Hill said, Amen. And the others fell down and worshipped. God, that is an overwhelming image. When we think about that Jesus, that Lamb of God. That is the same Lamb of God who can intersect with our life today. He can give us hope, He can give us thankful hearts. overwhelm us with your mercy that you would save a sinner like us that you would use us that you give us the privilege to partner with you to go to the nations that you use your church still today for your glory God encourage us with your word may we be overwhelmed by you may you free us from the things that commonly overwhelm us In this world, many good things that overwhelm us. We may you overwhelm us with the greatest thing. That is you. So Father, Father, we love you in Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.